0: we mm-hmm. This is Chris Welcome to Generation X-Lapse To episode 5 Where uh, we're going to break away from The entire team that we've been building Over the past 4 issues And focus on well, We're going to focus on a couple of characters here But this is mainly a spotlight on one character And if you're familiar with the cover of this issue You could probably figure out Who that is So let's get right into it this is Generation X, Volume Two, Number Five, which had an October 2017 cover date, written by Christina Strain, with art by Alberto Jimenez Albuquerque, colors by Felipe Sabiro, letters VCs Clayton Cows, edits Robinson Shan Panitia and Alonzo, cover price $3.99, and this one went on sale August 16th of 2017. As always, we start with our full-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. The characters we're going to be seeing here today are Jubilee, Bling, Kid Omega, Nature Girl, Morph, Hindsight, and Eyeboy. Now, we open at the Xavier Institute of Lockpicking, Pickling, and Obstetrics, where Jubilee is, hey, she's actually doing something. I mean, she's not carrying Shogo, she's not blaming Shogo for her inability to do things. Uh, She's actually here... Well, she's kind of doing something. Uh, She's putting Eyeboy through a test of his 57 eyes by standing him before a bank of monitors, which he must watch to try and figure out who on those monitors is holding six colorful chips. Three red, three blue. Not that it matters. Now, on the screens, we see members of our team, as well as Chamber, Evan Apocalypse, Anole, Rockslide, The Cuckoos, and Don't Yet Call Me Kate. Now, Jubilee is sucking blood from a sippy cup, which almost sounds like a euphemism, but, uh, eh, maybe not. Anyway, Trevor has managed to locate five of the six chips. Roxy's got two reds, Lynn's got one blue, Nathaniel's got a red and a blue. So, who has that last blue chip? Uh, Call Me Jubes tells I boy that he's got less than a minute to figure it out. She then tells him that, uh, hey... This test isn't limited to members of his sad little squad. By God, he's got to check out the entire quad. So I gotta ask, uh, what exactly are Eyeboy's powers? Like, does he have all of Superman's eye-based gimmickry? Like x-ray vision, telescopic vision, all that kind of stuff? Or is he just a, a weird little dude with a bunch of eyes? I'm not entirely clear. Anyway, Trevor focuses hard and watches a scene of Ben Deeds chatting up Nature Girl. Then, Chamber walks by Suddenly, both Jono and Ben are... Nude But they have their naughty bits cleverly covered up But Trevor can see that Chamber has the final blue chip in his right pocket He declares that Chamber's got the chip Jubilee does the Regis, is that your final answer, thing before uh, telling him he's correct Trevor bounces, all freaked out that he just saw Chamber's explosive nutsack We rejoin him a little bit later on, maybe it's the following day, maybe it's the same day, maybe it's several days or a week, year later, I don't know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, He's in the cafeteria eating with his classmates. In the background, we get cameos from regular bits and pieces of X-Men wallpaper, including Pixie, Shark Girl, Glob Herman, Brew, Loa, and that one with the wings and blue skin. iBoy laments the fact that they're still under curfew, meaning that they can't leave the school after 6pm, which... That's a lot earlier than I thought it would be. He comments that this makes him feel like a caged animal. To which, Nature Girl says that that statement is... offensive to her friends at the zoo. Oh, Lord. Trevor remembers what year it is and profusely apologizes. Nate then offers Lynn an apple. Now, here's the thing. One fell from a tree and the other was picked. She corrects him, claiming that one might have fallen from a tree, but the other... Jesus was murdered uh, Get the f- You kidding me with this? Come on uh, bling. then sort saunters up to the table to ask if anyone's seen her missing ring It's got a tiger on it Nobody's seen it I, boys, suggests that it could be one of two things Either she lost it Or it was stolen Yeah, you think? I mean, this is Stan Laurel levels of deduction at play here Anyway, after Trevor pipes up Suddenly, everyone around him seems to lose not only their clothes, but their skin. You see, his eye powers are in super overdrive, and he's giving the entire student body a non-consensual x-raying. All but nature, girl. But, uh, don't you worry, we'll get to the bottom of that soon, whether whether we want to or not. But first, it's time for a montage. Now, we see Trevor in class. Everyone around him, besides Lynn, are in x-ray mode. Then, he's on a couch with Nathaniel and Ben, who are arguing about the merits of 2001 A Space Odyssey versus The Ring. And all we see of them is their, like, hearts pumping blood. And we only know that it's them because the narration is so stilted that these goopers are, like, referring to each other by name during conversation. It's like, well, you see, Ben, oh, that's a good point, Nate or Nathaniel. It's very stilted. Later still, Trevor sees through a wall where Roxy is crying to Kitty and Chamber. Maybe about her lost ring, maybe about something else. Who knows? She's been crying a lot lately. So montage is done, and I Boy is afraid that his eyes are in revolt. He's then joined by Lynn on a bench outside the school, and everyone else around them is still just bones. He spills the beans to Lynn about his weird eye experiences, and informs us all that Chamber has a, has Smith's lyrics tattooed on his hip, and also that he saw his wiener. Uh, Trevor is having a crisis, you see, uh, he already knows that people think he's weird and useless And, I mean, he's mostly not wrong But now he runs the risk of being the guy who's perving out on all of them While still being weird and useless Just then, he sees a raccoon stealing Rockslide's wallet I can't believe I'm not joking So, uh, this is either the way Tom Nook got his start or something very stupid I will let you make your guesses and place your bets. boy then runs up to Santo and asks where his wallet is. Um, rather than asking Trevor why he's being so weird, Rockslide just assumes, after patting himself in the back pocket, that he probably just left it in his room. He doesn't seem at all creeped out by the question, though. I mean, maybe it's me. Um... I mean, if someone, even a close friend of yours, like, frantically ran up to you and asked where your wallet was, you might think that's kind of weird, right? I don't know, whatever the case, Santo notices that Eyeboy's eyes are really effed up right now and suggests that maybe he try and get some sleep. Lin then tells him that she'll help him track down the criminal trash panda, and away they go. Along the way, we get guilted for being humans, because lest we forget, humans are the worst. Lynn asks the trees for help which Trevor notices totally contradicts a previous story beat wherein trees don't recognize humans because you see trees are racist or speciesist or whatever they they think all of us look alike and lest we forget we are also dangerous and terrible as well but Lynn says a raccoon with a wallet is something a tree would notice and I think we're going to need to compile a list of things trees might notice, like, uh, I don't know, a squirrel eating an ice cream cone, an armadillo reading a book, a kangaroo trading stocks over his smartphone. I, I don't know. Anyway, just then, the naked raccoon attacks. It's completely hairless, is what I'm trying to say. And it's worth noting that iBoy isn't just seeing its bones at the moment. Lin attempts to communicate with the raccoon, but it's no use. And in fairness to the rabid beast, it does have a mouthful of wallet at present. Now, she grabs Mr. Raccoon, and uh, I, since we're naming him, I guess we could say that this is probably Mr. Raccoon's first appearance, so you should probably get this issue slabbed if you own it. Uh, he ca- she calls the raccoon bad, noinks the wallet out of its mouth, and finally, it screes about what's going down. This is like, you know, Timmy talking a lassie here. Now, we learn that there's a rat king. The so-called Animal Don of Central Park And I can't believe we're spending an entire issue on this Uh, Anyway, this rat king is forcing animals to steal money, electronics, jewelry, whatever is valuable out there Now iBoy suddenly gets this weird burst of inspiration He climbs atop a large rock and performs the speech from, I want to say Braveheart The, you know, they can take our whatever, but they'll never take our freedom You know that one? I think that's Braveheart, right? Whatever the case, the animals of Central Park cheer him on with chirps, hoots, and chee-chee-chee-chees. chee chee, chee, Next stop, the sewers, which I think is supposed to be an attempt at, like, juxtaposed comedy. Like, Trevor was all regal and brave a minute ago, you know, just really rallying the troops. And now he's trudging through a knee-deep river of human waste. He, Lynn, and a bunch of tiny beasts, including some very pink bunnies, make their way. When suddenly a strange song begins to play. This song turns all of the animals and Nature Girl against Eyeboy. Lynn growls a bunch while Trevor tries to shake these tiny animals off of him. As he runs, he winds up stumbling into... the Rat King. Well, the shape of the Rat King, because Eyeboy's eyes are still eyeing. Now, the Rat King appears to be... I don't know, beatboxing this siren song? Uh, Lynn arrives soon after and punches Trevor in the face. At this point, IBoy's critical thinking and clarity begins to peak. He realizes that he can't see through Lynn because he doesn't understand her. P- pretty profound, innit? Um, we'll, we'll just go with it. Uh, maybe then we won't have to think about it anymore. Now, this has taught Trevor not to overanalyze things. Even when his vampiric mentor is repeatedly yelling at him to focus, I guess? Um, and so boy is finally able to see the whole picture As it pertains to this Rat King Sadly, it's revealed here that he's not beatboxing He's just playing B.A.G. on his dollar store recorder And uh, he also kind of looks like a dollar store version of the Mad Mod It's worth noting iBoy throws a rat at him Oh, gee, I'm, I'm not kidding, that he threw a rat at him Now this releases Lin and the Beasties from the Rat King's control Trevor then snaps the recorder in half, and an owl swoops in to completely destroy the Rat King's testicles. And no, I'm not kidding about that either. I guess that's all the punishing the Rat King needs, because it seems as though our heroes just leave him in the sewer to lick his wounds. Uh, Hopefully not literally. Now we wrap up with our pair agreeing to never discuss this little adventure. You see, Lynn is ashamed that she fell under the spell of the Rat King, and Trevor is ashamed that he can't stop thinking about Chambers' wiener. Uh, before we go, however, Trevor, who apparently gained 250 experience points from this issue and is now level 4, has spotted Roxy's ring in a hallway. All's well that ends. Okay, so let's talk about this issue here. Um, I tell you, when I was about halfway through it, I assumed that I would uh, have the you know second portion of this show just uh, ripping this Issue to shreds here, but By the time we got to the end of it I actually found myself rather enjoying it Um, It works on a couple Different levels here Um, I I enjoyed the spotlight Story on iBoy And also I enjoyed just how Easy it was to kind of make fun of it It's not often enough we get issues like that And you know, I can't say That my observations or jokes Are great or or even good but with an issue like this, they, they kind of write themselves and, and that's not a suggestion that they're in any way funny Or, or you know, novel in, in any way But uh, just easier to concoct Now, in terms of this being a spotlight on iBoy I thought it was very well done I, I know very little about this character I've read his appearances in Wolverine and the X-Men early on um, But it's been like a decade since then uh, Ever since then, all I've seen him in is X-Factor and that's, you know, something altogether different. So, I didn't really know what his powers are. You know, even after reading this, I'm still not entirely sure. I feel like they're very um, I don't know, uh, convenience-based. <laughs> I think his powers basically do what the story calls for him to do, and that's not a that's not a bad thing. I mean, he's a fairly versatile character in that. Um, he's not going to He's not gonna be on the battlefield, but he can really, really help out behind the scenes here He's kind of a, a Doug Ramsey for, you know, the 2010s, I guess Even though we already have a Doug Ramsey in the 2010s I hope you know what I'm trying to say there I appreciate that this was a lighter story Like, this wasn't like a massive coming-of-age story Like, I feel like, uh, and I'm trying not to say the word like over and over again I just noticed that I am, but uh, <laughs> I feel like uh, usually when they do stories like this Where there is a character who is useless on the battlefield And they have a coming of age It's usually this big deal, right? Here, I mean, he fought the Rat King And, uh, I mean, they didn't even bother to bring him in to be arrested or, or whatever They just had uh, they just had him succumb to some owl-based te- testicular trauma And uh, let him be as long as they broke his little recorder so it was a silly story, but it still gave us uh, a bit of insight into IBoy, And it also gave I-boy, um some confidence as well as a little bit more insight into himself. He wondered throughout the issue why he couldn't see through Lynn. And, and while this is this is kind of cloudy, um, it's one of those things that we can accept uh, just to accept it. You know, someone he didn't understand he could not see through. Is that to say that he can understand it? Everybody else at the school That seems kind of weird right I mean he can understand someone like Chamber I don't know I think it's a very convenient sort of a Gimmick here to allow For this revelation But it's not a bad thing It's not a bad thing and they didn't use this to have Him save the world he didn't save The entire team he didn't save the school From blowing up he broke up A tiny animal mafia Racket <laughs> I mean it wasn't A huge deal here Let's uh, jump back to the beginning of the issue here where Jubilee is putting him through his paces. Um, I feel like she was uh, really showing that she's not prepared to be a mentor in a way here. She was really, really riding him hard, right? You know, counting down the seconds that he had before he could uh, find this final chip, while at the same time making it clear to us that she wasn't wasn't completely transparent in what the exercise was going to be about. Uh, we see that he was led to believe that he was only going to have to uh, scan members of his squad, but no—it's the entire school she's expecting him to uh, to scan here, and not telling him that until he only has like what forty-nine seconds left till he ex- till he fails the exercise. That's uh, that's not a really good way to to mentor or teach. I mean is it any wonder that poor Trevor's eyes went all you know wonky and uh overpowered for a, for a bit there. He was stressed out. He was being forced to uh to scan the entire school within less than a minute to find a stupid chip which if Jubilee had explained that to him beforehand uh, you know might have <laughs> might have lessened the uh, the stress on the poor kid. I think that uh I'm trying to think back to Jubilee's time training. I don't think she was ever really uh, pushed quite this hard. I I think it was just like, okay, you paff, 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 and you're good. So, yeah, a really bad showing for Call Me Jubes here. She is not a great mentor, and I worry for her team here, her little squad. Uh, The last thing I want to talk about is, uh, as far as the story is concerned, is Nature Girl. Wow, what an annoying character she is. Um, and, I, and I feel like... I I mean, she's not a bad character. She's just annoying in that I think we all might know someone who's kind of like that. Where, you know, people who drop those truths on you that are obviously true, right? So you can't tell them that they're wrong. So it's like... Okay, you're not wrong, you're just kind of a jerk, right? I think that's Nature Girl's gimmick here It's like all the things she's saying here Maybe it's a little precious, maybe it's a little too quick to be offended But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, sure, it's not untrue If we're we're suspending our disbelief enough to know that she can communicate with animals Then we have to appreciate and understand the fact that she would be able to speak to them And she knows how those behind the bars of a zoo would feel And uh, she knows what the trees think So we have to assume that everything she's telling us is true To which we have to accept the way that she is It's just the way she goes about explaining herself is very, very annoying I mean, when I got to the part where she said that one of the apples was murdered I really thought... I thought this was going to be like a two-minute long episode And I was going to be like, nope, I'm tapping out (laughs) And I was just going to be done uh, I'm glad I pressed on though, because this was a uh this was a fun little ditty. Um while at the same time it's one of those that I have to kind of uh try not to think that you know people spent four dollars for this not too long ago, uh, because that takes a little bit of the wind out of the sails. Um one more thing about this issue, uh the art here. We have a different artist than usual. Usually it's a Milcar pinna. And today it is, let me vamp as I roll up here, uh, Alberto Jimenez Albuquerque. And while I'm not the biggest fan of Pinna's work on this book, um, this, I don't know, this one was kind of weird. It feels like, and this is an odd sort of comparison to make here, but you know when like a big budget Hollywood movie tries to like evoke that indie look? You know, like anything with that kid from Arrested Development in it, where they try to make it look super indie. That's what I get from this artist here. I feel like they're purposely trying to make this look like an independent comic. And I think that's to its detriment. I don't think that's, uh, I mean, especially when you you contrast it with the covers we get here, these beautiful Dodson covers. And if you've seen the cover of this issue where Eyeboy's covering his eyes, but he's got eyes on the back of his hands too, it's a, it's a really cool-looking cover. And then you open it up in this like this weird indie take. And uh, I just don't feel like it really fits the tone of the story uh, all that well. It's not bad work. It's not bad work in the slightest. It's just, uh, you know, not for me, really. But I think that's all I've got to say about this issue. and uh, And I suppose I should just hop into my spiel to let you all go on with your day. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you could find me very, very easily. I'm at Ace Comics on Twitter, or you could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at Chris You could join us on Facebook. We're having some very fun conversations. Our little group is 90s X-Men on Facebook. And for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available on all your noise aggregation devices and applications. And that is where we'll leave it for today. I'd like to thank you all so, so much for letting me be part of your day today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Yeah!